When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Band of History. Welcome to a new series where we sit down with a new person each time to discuss their favorite band song in detail. Our first guest is somebody who is familiar to the show, Annie Burkhart, who is an academic and very active over on Twitter running The Manual Mindset, a great account dedicated to our favorite band member, Richard Manuel, joins me to talk about Jawbone which is from the band's second studio album that is self-titled and affectionately known as the Brown Album. This is my conversation with Annie Burkhart. Welcome back, Annie. This is what your second time joining our show in some capacity, right? Yeah, it's so exciting to be back. This is my favorite podcast. Close to tied actually with your wife's. So like the listens are are big in this household. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that both both shows are are doing uh, doing well for you. Uh, very different, and that's the greatest part, the how different they are. You picked the song Jawbone from the band's second studio album that is self-titled and affectionately known as the Brown Album. It's the 10th song on the track list. Jawbone. Why, why Jawbone for you? It was just like an immediate visceral visceral excuse me reaction when i first heard it like i usually especially with the band actually because there's like so much musical complexity to what they do and even like lyrical and storytelling complexity like usually their songs like grow on me a lot and there's like an evolution from the first time i hear it but jawbone while it has had its own spectacular evolution as well like it caught me the absolute first second I heard it. And I think that would be like three or four years ago now, like not that long, but just, I don't know, immediately. And of course, if you've heard me on the pod before, you know that Richard is my absolute favorite. Like Richard gets me every time. And this is just like such a fun exploration of what he can do vocally and as we know with his just radical fun with with time signatures and rhythm and stuff and to me this is just like the band cooking straight fire and it's absolutely unfair what you told me before we started recording which is that this is the least streamed song on 
possibly their most popular album. I know there's like a division there. Like mm -hmm. for me, Big Pink comes out ahead, but mm -hmm. like the technical proficiency of this album, I think usually like gets it a hair above in most people's takes. Like, I don't know what the Grail Marcuses of the world <laughs> would say about that, but you know. Yes, it's interesting. I, you know, looking at the numbers, music from big pink collectively has more stream numbers because the weights on it um yeah. and they have other songs on there like um chest fever and i shall be released i shall be released having like almost twenty thousand streams uh, but in comparison if if we're just looking at least stream song on an album the least stream song on spotify for music from big pink is the number nine song as opposed to 10 but nine lonesome Susie with 1.2 million really yes oh gosh so much richard shade this is uh, yes so i you know i think there's a couple things that we could look at but jawbone is like it's actually kind of insulting jawbone is is 10 on uh like the 10th slot on on the brown album and it's only got 480,000 streams. It hasn't even cracked the half a million mark, let alone the million mark. In the next closest song on Spotify streaming uh, on this album to it is the next song after it at 11, The Unfaithful Servant at 1.4 million. So it's got approximately 1 million more streams than Jawbone. And somebody will say out there who cares spotify sucks why do we care about their stream numbers well we don't really and most people listening to this during its peak on vinyl would have listened to all these songs probably roughly around the same time or same amount of times um but it is just interesting to look at when 99 percent of people stream music today that this song is so low in comparison to the other tracks. And I don't know if there's really a good reason for it, you know, other than the fact that it's late. Yeah. I don't use Spotify. I just happen to use YouTube music and I listen, I think I've listened to Jawbone like 40 or 50 times just in the past two days. So my not being on Spotify, like if I were there, that would knock it up at least ahead of Unfaithful Servant. I yeah. could account for that million like easily. I think we already came to the conclusion this episode that we're going to have to start a robust social media campaign. I know you band fans out there on Twitter are crazy. So we might as well use that for good and get this song. We'll, we'll, we'll view bought it or stream bought it as they say, and get this song up a lot higher. But, um, jawbone, do you remember like, do you remember the first time you listened to it? I do. And yeah, it was that like immediate just love for it. And I, I think I've been able to identify at least a couple factors of like what really stuck with me and why it was so powerful. Um, other than just Richard's voice, like I'm also just huge into good piano. And the idea of having like a rhythm keyboardist is. I guess fairly common, but like someone with Richard's talent doing rhythm keyboard, like it's so, it's so powerful, especially in this song, again, with all the time signature changes, 
Um, I think that like what it really comes down to though, and I, I've like really looked around for the right word to describe, especially the chorus and Richard's vocal when he's singing, of course, like the best line ever, I'm a thief and I dig it. Um, the, the word that we use in like psychoanalytical theory and queer theory is jouissance, which obviously French, and it's just like this grand elation of the mind or the body or the spirit or all three. So it's like when he hits the word thief, especially in the last iteration of the chorus where he goes like way up on dig it, like, oh my God, that is just like, pure joy and a really interesting turn i i've identified you know this this sort of trajectory of thievery in richard singing of course in tears of rage um on big pink he's singing the lyrics from bob dylan why must i always be the thief it's almost a lamentation of his position as a thief and then in this he's owning it he's loving it he's enjoying it and it's just like a really tremendous persona for him i i'm mm. absolutely convinced that you know robbie you know he did the lyrics on this absolutely only richard could have could have sung it and been convincing in in similar ways to pretty much everything he's done before but you know sometimes there there is an ability to to shift vocalists this this could not be one as much as i love rick and levon and you know the occasional vocal from robbie even like mm -hmm. no precedent on this yeah the 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 thievery or like the theme of being a thief or being a seedy character is something that we see in a lot of band music uh the thief word itself uh, that's very interesting i actually had never made that connection it's a very interesting one the tears of rage the lyric to this and the idea even like one of richard's defining moments in the last waltz was when he's talking about stealing baloney oh so, my gosh <laughs> so like this idea <laughs> our theme of thievery uh in richard uh is very very interesting and you know, I think it speaks to a couple different things, too. First of all, we know, and if you've spent any time reading about the early days of the band, uh, going back to the Hawks, um, there was a real kind of like hand-to-mouth type of... There was a desperation in them a lot, and they weren't making a great run at it. And, you know, you hear about, you know, the mini handguns protecting their gear, you know, going in, they're hungry, stealing food, um, just kind of trying to get through the day. And they imbue those personal experiences. Uh, and, you know, if if we talk about Robbie specifically as, as the, the primary lyricist on this song, um, the poverty that he grew up in and the things that he probably and his family had to do and experience too, um, it's a very... It's a very human theme. You know, they write a lot of music from characters that are hard done by, are are blue collar or no collar, literally, you know, just scraping by um, and really kind of put into question, though. Um, it's like, are they bad people? Are they bad people or are they are they dealt a bad hand? Is this circumstantial? Um 
there's also this kind of like theme of like men just kind of like being drunken idiots too that's you know prevalent there there's just so much in that that this song speaks to just like a lot of other songs uh, in the band's catalog and i think what's particularly beautiful is something that um most critics who really at least kind of vibe with and understand the band recognize just what you said this exploration of like blue collar life and that's really what Robbie was into and had seedy characters or or just people with kind of iffy takes like I mean we have the night <laughs> the night they drove old Dixie down like that all, like all on this album and like they're saying like the debauchery of up on Cripple Creek it's mm-hmm. kind of an exploration of what it means to be like a lower class dude in America at some kind of nebulous mm-hmm. not particularly well-defined time and we don't even really need it it's just like that we're trying to embody this um ethos of i it's one of the things i love about the band because i don't know that you get that ex this really interesting like psychological exploration of what it means to just kind of be a a normal person living a normal life And just kind of looking at something like thievery as both exceptional and unexceptional, like I'm not necessarily a bad person. I'm just kind of getting by and hey, I dig it. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine. Yeah. You know, if you look at the song list, not all of them, but you could make an argument that most of the songs could be coming from one character, right? Across the Great Divide. It's very much about a man who like relies on his woman to like cook him chicken and just kind of like help him get through because he's not doing great rag mama rag again a little bit about the playful but sometimes dark and kind of debaucherous side the night they drove old dixie down again about a collection of people and specifically kind of through the point of view of somebody who went through the civil war and you know, they don't really know, quite understand why that this had to happen. And they're bitter because regardless of anything else, it's like they took my family away and they were killed and we were starving. And all, up on Cripple Creek, like you mentioned, Jemima Surrender, which is another deeply complicated song. Rocking Chair, which is like the whole kind of seafarer side of it. Again, a very blue collar, honest way of living. Um, jawbone, Unfaithful Servant. And then to cap it all off, kind of the king of all king blue collar songs, um, socialist anthem, King Harvest. You know, like, you know, I can't wait until people hear that take. They they might tear me up for that. Um, But Jawbone is incredibly playful about it and interesting. And that's a theme that this album really hits on um really well which you know honestly makes it kind of the defining album for the band because of the the themes it touches on but also i think when people talk about the timelessness of it uh oftentimes you hear about the timelessness of the music itself like the quality of it and the recording like you know a band today could maybe do this that's like in the americana scene and it you know it feels still relevant well i think it a large part of why it still feels relevant is because the themes are still really relevant today, right? 
Yeah, like they really strike that timelessness that because they don't choose to define a when, I, I think that is really one of Robbie's many tremendous strengths is mm -hmm. finding something that's always going to be relevant to being human. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also worth talking about um, the collaboration here. I, I've talked about it a few times. Um, this is something that very is very interesting to me. This is technically this is a co-write. This is Richard and Robbie. Uh, Robbie primarily doing the lyrics. Richard primarily doing the music. Uh, something that really stood out to me that uh, I believe was Nick Dorizio stated about this song, and I was like, this is actually a very good view. If, if you were to ask somebody like, how would you define this song in a few words? Um, uh, Nick said, quote, front porch Prague. So, um, you know, Prague rock, the genre of Prague rock for anybody out there or any kind of Prague music, um, this would be front porch Prague. And I'm like, you know what? That's actually very true because to dive a little bit deeper now, we talked about the lyrics a little bit, but the music itself is, you know, very much this kind of progressive thing we have a 6-4 timing we kind of juggle between uh, a shuffle and a waltz that's like a full-on 4-4 four four, um, for all of our musician people out there um, but if you listen to it and if you're not a musician listen at the kind of the shambolic nature of the time signature change and how that gives it a whole kind of kind of wavy kind of weird feel to it and that kind of feeling you're getting is the time signature changing um and that's been talked about before like levon talked about it uh being richard always trying to keep him as a, on his toes tempo wise as, as a drummer um but when you marry richard's kind of unorthodox way of songwriting which he often does with robbie's lyricism i think it really kind of comes up with the most underrated most inspiring and interesting songs in the band's catalog um what's your take on on that oh my gosh there's there's so much about it musically like you're talking about that especially strikes me i have a whole reading of the lyrics that i think is kind of secondary um for me the time signature especially establishes just this really truly unique and slightly unsettled in like an evocative way sort of feel like you're shifting from like total anarchy everyone's kind of on their own figuring out this six four time signature which i think we have to give a lot of credit to leave on here it took me a long time to really like even pick up how complex his drumming was just underneath the piano and like this really interesting bass that I want to get to in a minute, which I know you'll appreciate as a basis, but like it goes from like this anarchy in the, in the six, four verses to a little more cohesion and unity in the chorus when they get back to the four, four, and then really between um, the vocal parts of the chorus, when they have like, I'm a thief and I dig it. And you have the da, 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 da everything comes together everyone's doing exactly the same thing for a minute every instrument and it's really fascinating and it kind of punctuates everything like if the music were just kind of written out 
in like poetry form. You'd have like a line break and it, like you'd have enjambment there. Or you'd have a comma or a semicolon. Like it just breaks everything up. And again, punctuates it in such an interesting way. And then moving into the waltz feel with like the lamentation of like, oh, Jawbone, when did you first go wrong? Like it, like it all just moves around so spectacularly. And like the whole tone shifts every time. And I just love it. And like, I don't know, how does anyone not stream it a million times a week even? Even from that opening piano like trill, that little motif that Richard does, that riff and that kind of like textural, kind of like guttural string sound underneath it and the plings of the, uh, the, the you know, whatever instrument that Garth was using there, most likely, you know, it's like it sets you up. It's a mood. You know, you, you know, you're in for something. It's it is it's got a cinematic quality to it as well. Um, not in your traditional sense, like not in the same way, maybe the weight has, um, this is a different feel. Um, uh, it's, it's also, and when I mean cinematic, it's like pictorial, like I, I it paints a picture in my mind, uh, which is very difficult to do with a song. I think like very difficult. Yeah, what the intro to me does, which is such an interesting and weird intro, it, it like establishes this sort of call and response with like this clipped dual note or dual chord thing from the guitar. Mm -hmm. And then like responding to that are these like beautiful glissandos on the mm -hmm. piano. And in the back, you have like that wah sound that you're talking about yeah. from Garth. Yeah. I, like I couldn't even necessarily figure out whether that was like an organ thing or possibly just a guitar wah pedal, but like, you know, it's Garth's influence, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's like, and they do um, the refrain, the vocal refrain at the end, like the O jawbone thing. So it's like, it is very cinematic. Like all of these sounds to me establish space. They mm -hmm. sound like they're just moving back and forth. Like you get depth. Like, I don't even quite know how they do it. Probably the call and response feel, but um but it's just like a preview for mm -hmm. what's to come. And as someone who studied film, like you kind of know that you kind of throw in a motif or something at the beginning, but you're going to hearken back to later. And yeah. like, as we know, Robbie's really into that stuff. He, he knows yeah. how to set things up. And, and of course we have to give a lot of credit to, to Richard musically. I assume he did. I mean, with all the time changes and stuff, I assume he did most of the composition on this. And mm -hmm. I mean, again, that is what drives it. And the the lyrics to me, as fun as they are, and as much of a story they t as they tell, they're they're mm -hmm. fairly secondary. Yeah, this yeah, and this kind of this relationship, like I, I, you know, Richard wrote words too, but I think a lot of times in a lot of the co-write situations here. Um, either with Robbie or with Bob, he would oftentimes do the music. He would have a riff idea, even if you go to like the Ruth uh, Albert Spencer interview from um, 80, uh, 85. He talks a lot about and um, he, ta he talks a lot about having these songs uh, and song sketches that he's done. They just don't have words yet. Uh, and some of those have been released since. Um, 
So this does feel like Richard's fingerprints. This feels very much like something that he would do, uh, the kind of piano-driven nature of it all and everything. And then, you know, that's what's fascinating about the pair. Like, if I'm Richard, as somebody who writes music too, it's like, if I'm Richard and... Or I'm actually sorry, if I'm Robbie and Richard comes to me and he's like, here, check this out. When he starts playing what he's playing and this riff or whatever he did to show it and you're Robbie and you're sitting there, I'm like, oh, wow. okay." it must be like what Mick Jagger felt like when, you know, Keith Richards would come and show him like the riff to, you know, brown sugar or, you know, uh, give me shelter or something like there's just. I, I think it's easy to write on that. And that's what you want. You want to be immediately inspired to do something with it. And that kind of relationship seems to be what Robbie craved from Richard and what Richard enjoyed about working with Robbie. Again, this is an assumption, but I'm just trying to think about other dualities out there that have done similar things and have talked about this in a similar way. And my own experiences is, is like, that's what makes this song so, so very interesting. Um, I think I'm a thief and I dig it is in contention for one of the coolest band lyrics, if not the coolest. It's one of the ones that I always tell people, right? Like it's simple, but it's effective. Like it's such a mood saying that line. It's such a, it's just so appealing as you're saying in every way, like who, I don't know. I say it all the time. Just yeah. it's that it has just the cool factor that everyone responds to without any context. And this mm -hmm. song has literally no context. I don't know where it's coming from, aside from maybe like thinking about the baloney story or even like taking this simultaneously retrospective and like prophetic um interpretation where like thinking back to tears of rage and then even mm -hmm. being like oh well richard like had a thing later with like the stereo system that belonged to john simon it's like you know <laughs> it speaks to like this whole range of the band's history and i mean you know there's no way anyone was predicting what richard would do later in his life but i mean especially thinking back to the baloney like when you see richard talking about it in the last waltz like he He's absolutely delighted by that. So I think yeah. his embodying the character of Jawbone, a very interesting name that maybe speaks to what you have told me about Hollywood, like dogging after Richard because of his jawline. Like this mm -hmm. just, of course, it's a tremendously cool name, but it just all comes together to just make Richard himself the perfect, like inimitable thief character. Again, mm -hmm. no one else could have done this. As cool as Levon is and even Rick, like they, they just don't stand a chance against yeah. the whole vibe that Richard puts forth. Yeah, Richard's got this like kind of power with his vocal that I think is interesting too. Like I think of Rick as kind of mischievous too, but in like a kinder way almost. Like Absolutely. Richard's got a dark more of a darkness and uh I don't know. There there there's something deeper behind his mischief where Rick is more a class clown, you know? Absolutely. So, so you're, you're totally right about that. And jawbone itself. So in preparation for this, and I'd never really looked at this, so that's probably 
an error on my part for when I did the episode on this whole album and talked about this song, which I didn't go back to listen to. So my opinions have probably changed somewhat too um, on it or how I talked about it. But um, I was fascinated by Jawbone, okay? I was like, okay, why Jawbone? Why? Um, quite literally, it could be your actual jawbone, like what's on your face and the bone that hole is like on the bottom part of your uh, your jaw or whatever, your mouth or whatever that is. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Um, but then I was saying, okay, there's got to be slang. There's got to be other ways. Also, this album is old timey. It transports you to another period. Is this a word that was more commonly used in another era, either during the 60s when it was written or prior to that? So when I was looking it up, uh, and some people might know this, and they're like, of course, silly, but you know, I feel like I'm not in the minority on this, at least today. To jawbone is to talk informally, to think, schmooze, uh, talk up, or chit-chat. It's a word to use when the act of talking is more important than what's being talked about. So there was that, I found that, and then I found this other example, and then I'll, I'll throw it over to you to tell, and you tell me what you think, Annie. Uh, in a, fic, uh, a financial or political context, jawboning is a form of persuasion. Uh, and an example it gave is when Lyndon B. Johnson, who was uh, president of the United States, attempted to jawbone rising interest rates in 1966. He was attempting to change the behavior of the markets without taking direct action, or when another former U.S. president, Franklin D. Roosevelt's fireside chats can be seen as jawboning as well as FDR enlisted support uh, first for the New Deal programs and then for the U.S. role in World War II through an informal, uh, friendly radio broadcast chats series that he did. So I was like, okay, this is interesting because then when I look at the lyrics uh, and kind of correspond that to some of the different definitions here, especially the first one, this whole idea of like schmoozing, talking up, chit-chatting, I was like, oh, okay. And then I guess the last one before I throw it over is, is this guy's just nickname or gal or whoever it is, are they just nicknamed Jawbone? And there maybe there is no context. I don't know. What do you think? I just was fascinated by this. Well, first of all, like these dudes are, are smart, these guys in the band. So I love that you looked into this. I actually just looked it up uh, in the Oxford English Dictionary, the definitive okay. source, which has exactly what you have mentioned. Mm -hmm. There's also one more okay. that uh, identifies it as North American and originally Canadian slang for like credit, like kind of street credit or something, but not street credit itself as like identity. Like it, it's, uh, it was first used this way in 1862 and it's uh, individuals who in diggers parlance live on jawbone or credit. And that, to me, that just has okay. a band vibe to it. Like all of this does like, talking for the sake of talking is definitely what this song is doing. Like you were mm -hmm. saying it, it doesn't matter really what's being said. It's that they're saying it. And this just adds a whole dimension to that. Like this, this thief just kind of living on whatever it is they've established in their little circle of life, this credit. Mm -hmm. That's, that's interesting. Actually, that, that new one that you brought up too, that, you said it was Canadian in origin? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. So maybe it's something that these guys, because again, a lot of these folks 
in the van came from rural contacts or like small town contacts, blue collar contacts, or like inner city contacts. So like this word feels like a word that may have been, may have been used, you know? So, and like, when you look at the lyrics too, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a home, it's a home run. Right. Um, just this down and out character stealing, like also complaining about the fact that like they, have a terrible kind of life and everything like that. And just the way some of the words are written, like I, I was always fascinated by this, like this last line in the first what verse, I guess. Yeah. Spreading your heat all over the place. So <laughs> such a weird way of saying it. Right. Cause it's like the idea of heat is like, you know, you're causing a lot of racket. You're, you're garnering a lot of attention. The heat's high on you. Maybe like chill out and let it, you know, you know, subside, but like spreading your heat is like just a weird way to say it. It also sounds slightly sexual. I don't know. Like it just oh, sounds, absolutely. you know, there's like this double meaning to it. Um, how do you feel like that's just one phrase that sticks out to me, but lyrically here, how they phrase things or go about things. Is there anything interesting that kind of pops out to you? Oh, absolutely. I, I started really like i guess pun intended digging in and um i folk i really zeroed in on up on up on a beef i'm gonna rig it because like none of that makes any earthly sense which is the whole idea of jawboning so like i do have to give some credit to my friends and they're the only probably richard manual group chat in existence um my friends mara and anastasia who like help me talk through this a little bit Cool. Uh, both patrons of this podcast so go them um we were looking at that line and we were considering just the words beef and rig like again no earth making no earthly sense mm -hmm. the like if we're getting like biographical or something like that just thinking about where those fit into band lore and we kind of started considering like could this song be like an exploration of Levon's departure from the band and if to work on an oil rig. And if you think about that and try to apply it back, most of the lyrics make sense. Like, especially this line, like, man, he had a beef with playing these shows with Dylan for whatever reason. Like yeah. some people say the booing, some people say like, you know, he really kind of wanted to be the leader. And, you know, Bob was at that time, he was used to Levon and the Hawks, whatever it was, it, like did not work for him. He got a little beef with it and he decided to head to an oil rig. So I just okay. thought like, you know, I'm not saying that this is about Levon, but it's just like a super fun way to think of it. And of course, like he and Robbie were absolute best friends, buddies for life or mm -hmm. tried to be. And like, this could just be like, this is kind of what I was feeling about my friend who kind of like, was sort of thieving our whole band identity and like because you know like levon was kind of a backbone jawbone whatever of the band yeah and then he just kind of he left and yeah. i think he sort of i think he knew his import like again terrible pun like the but the weight he carried in the band and that if he left it would be felt and i think when you really look back at a lot of these other lines, especially the other one that really fascinates me. Um, 
your name up on the post office wall uh, puts you on edge because they wrote it too small, which is so bizarre because like if you're a thief and you're on a wanted poster, you do not want to be found. But yeah. Leon like wants to make his absence known. And if he feels like, oh, these dudes aren't thinking about me, they don't miss me. It's like he's on edge. He's bummed. He wants to like be asked to come back mm -hmm. again. Very like just like clowny and fun reading, but mm -hmm. like it's plausible and that's i mean that's what i do for my job is like take these bizarre readings of words and yeah try to make them plausible yeah no it's 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 totally true and whether it's levon or somebody else i think it's such a good reading like these guys knew so many people they witnessed so many experiences other musicians these characters that they met in these towns that they befriended like real people whether it's Levon or somebody else, it's like, I guarantee there's some form of reality behind this. It's heightened for a song, just like a movie is when you're doing a biopic or something or inspired by real events. Like this song is clearly inspired by real events, I think. Right. Like, so it, it's a very good reading. And one thing going back to um, the chorus there, we talk about beef, right? Um it's interesting because this lyric has also been contrib uh, contributed to uh, Reef. Reef, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's an interesting one too because I think it's beef. But if if they're if they're saying I'm uh, up on a reef and I'm gonna I'm gonna rig it, um, I looked into that a little bit too, and that is slang for uh, forceful action. Oh my gosh. Okay. So like um I found an anecdotal thing um of somebody saying they grew up uh, in Michigan and we used to reef to mean forceful action. Uh quote I had to really reef on the tire iron to get the wheel off. Um so also there's reef as in reefer. I, I don't know if that works in this context as well, but that could work the kind of forceful action uh, thing of it too. Like there's a component of that that's there. So there's just so much, like, I think it's beef, but you know, it, it, it it's still, there's so many different readings. And the last line I want to talk about, cause they're, they're all really good, but the kind of like interesting way they end Temptation stands just behind that door. So what do you, uh, what do you want to, sorry. So what you want to go and open it for? Like, you know, like very interesting, you know, uh, it's a very interesting way to kind of end the song for me. Um, and it almost feels a little bit different than some of the other lines. Everything feels quite literal and like, this line at the end is like temptation stands just behind the door. Like that's kind of mysterious to me. And it's like, they're ending the song on this kind of like, okay, why do you want to open that? There's something behind it. That's weird. And does that speak to you as a character, just kind of throwing yourselves into these situations? Most times you don't know what they're, what they're going to be. Oftentimes it leads to a bad situation for you, but you're just addicted to that kind of like, action of doing something and not knowing the outcome and kind of ending it on that is, is, has always been kind of interesting to me. I mean, that's just so like representative of the guys in the band, just like, 
But like just kind of going for it, not necessarily knowing what's on the other side, like just in, in their personal lives, like they, these guys really like to have fun. And there's like that, that's celebrated in this song, except like, I, I'm always entirely compelled when any author or artist ends something with a question and like not including the chorus this as you say is the last line so mm -hmm. it's really challenging us or jawbone as a character or whoever to just like consider this possibly even slightly biblical idea of temptation like they love playing with biblical ideas sure. yeah. i mean if we want to get like very depressing and into like the parts of band discourse that i don't like we could talk about the addiction component or mm -hmm. even just like the general debauchery and like all the sex low-key womanizing whatever mm -hmm. like just whatever is on the other side of the door and maybe the the speaker in this song is uh cautioning <laughs> or like begging us to reconsider like we we've got it great we're thieves and we dig it why do we need to go to the other side like be yeah. content with your thievery or i don't know it's wonderful though i again i love ending on a question because then i just always come back to it and you know as in stage fright you start all over again and you get to experience the whole journey and it it's a cycle because you do end with that question yeah for sure wow so 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 much so much to think about with with jawbone which is lovely because it's not the weight or something like that where we've all heard a million interpretations of it right um this feels a lot fresher at least for my mind um yeah i i don't know in closing i guess is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really want to touch on with, with this song in particular? I think the main thing would be the bass, which I was excited to talk to you about. Yes. Um, we haven't really given Rick his due in this conversation. And I've, I've really, for some reason, just like I'm in my like baseline era right now, I'm just noticing them and in all the music I, I love more than usual. Well, and um, I really listened to this one. It's very walking. I don't know if it like totally conforms to whatever the super precise definition of a walking baseline is. Maybe you would know. But from what I've seen, it's just like really kind of forwarding this feel of, of like forward motion within a song. And it's very bump, 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 ascending and descending tonally. And you just, you do feel like you're walking. You feel like you're, again, the cinematic feel of like watching this thief kind of pace back and forth, try deciding whether to make a move or something. So I'd love to hear your thoughts as a bassist on what this feels like to you, if you can recall offhand. Yeah, it's, it's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, the bass line in the verses, it feels like it's tiptoeing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like a thief would. Like in a very kind of like comical, cartoony sense, but like in an old Disney movie, like when it's like, you know, the notes are on every kind of footstep as, you know, the characters are sneaking in somewhere. It has a very thief-like, thief sneak-like kind of uh, feel to it. 
but it's lighthearted. It's not brooding. Absolutely. It's not brooding. <laughs> like, like a lot of the later band music has that very dark undertone, like whether one of my favorites is The Well, um, which is very dark in its undertone. It's not playful anymore. It's just dark. Uh, or like Streetwalker, the, the song that uh, Rick did with Robbie. They co-wrote that one together. It's about these eerie characters too and like prostitution and stuff, but it's just dark. It's not, there's no lightheartedness. This is still during the era where the band are talking about these things that we, we talked about more towards the beginning of this conversation around, you know, these blue collar characters or characters that find themselves in complex situations. There's a lightness here. There's a kind of a brevity in it. Uh, And the baseline speaks to that, I think really well as well. It's prancing along it's light on its toes. Uh, you're right. It doesn't necessarily conform to everything else, but that's a Rick style. You know, yeah. sometimes like I picked apart his bass lines before and I'd be like, why would you ever play? Like, why, why would you ever play that in the context of when he sat down to track bass on these songs? How did he come to the conclusion that this was the thing to play on that? Um, I am nowhere near the bass player Rick Danko is or many others, but I guess I'm just boring. I, he was so inventive with it and he didn't care about the rules. And <laughs> that speaks to the theme of the song too. He didn't care about the rules. And it's very evident here on this track. He is jawboning on the bass. And, yeah. and that reminds me, like I do appreciate the guitar solo as well in the yep. bridge. Like, mm-hmm. It's just kind of like fun and indulgent in in true Robbie style. It's not like needlessly flashy, but it's mm-hmm. just like so fun. Usually I'm the type of person who really wants a piano solo in a piano driven song like this. But no, in a song that is this fun and cool, you just want a super, super cool guitar solo in the middle. And yeah. I think Robbie nails that. And really like everyone's jawboning at the end of the day and it feels great yeah yeah the solo is plunky it's it's very bluesy it feels like it feels like a throwback to like you know delta blues kind of feel and it's plunky it's sassy it's kind of sexy like you say it's not overly flashy it sits back in the pocket and it's kind of more like look what i can do with with not a lot you know, and, and, you know, the band doesn't always use solos. And when they do, this is an example of why you'd want to use a solo, but this is a spot too. It's like, you know, I, I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, and this is the difference between a really good guitarist and a not so good guitarist. When you get the spotlight, are you turning your amp up to 11 and just going off? Or are you comfortable with your amp down at four in a group of musicians and you don't need to prove to anybody that you're the best guitar player. And by the process of not doing that, you are actually showing everybody why you're really, really good at what you do, you know? And this is an example of that. And I think it speaks to the, the real core of what Robbie does as a guitar player, um, is especially early on, um, his, I think philosophy on soloing for like, the first three albums primarily was this like 
I'm actually going to sit back in the pocket. When you give me a moment to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it really well. And I'm not going to tell you I'm doing it really well. You're going to have to find out. And that's the perfect, that's one of the perfect examples of it. I think a lot of people talk about King Harvest, um, that solo, which, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say that that's not Robbie's best solo ever, I think. Uh, but I do, I do really think that Jawbone gives it a run for its money. I really do. Absolutely. And maybe this is like a good spot to close, just circling back to those Richard and Robbie co-writes. I think the the main two on this album where it was really collaborative between the two of them, it like this and When You Awake, which are really my two favorite band songs of all time, probably. And you just get two like wildly different experiences, like total apples and oranges, but you also sort of feel a little nostalgic and you feel a little bit of like an echo from big pink where you get more richard rights and you get them collaborating almost from the beginning to the end you know and so it's like you get that nostalgia that callback to what was really so great about what i think is truly the best album of all time and music from big pink and and it's just a tribute to that and jawbone is just an exceptionally, exceptionally fun one where there are no rules except to just make it hella cool. I don't think I can say anything more uh, that you didn't already say that. That was a perfect way to cap it off. Um, And I'll give the floor to you too as we close here to um, promote anything or shout out anything that you want to shout out. Sure. First of all, I mean, if you vehemently disagree with me, I'm I'm always like, you know, I, I never know if I want to like inspire like capital D discourse on, on Twitter, <laughs> but I do love to hear from people. Um, I am at Annie Get Your Pun on Twitter. Um, I guess if you really want people people have done this you can like go to my website annieburkhart.com and fill out the contact form the only inquiries i've gotten on my website have been from dylan and band fans which is actually really fun nothing academic yet that's how it should be right um i also run with uh with actually my richard manual group chat a, a twitter page called manual mindset where we are really just like having fun appreciating Richard's legacy as like a gentleman with animals and women or whatever that newspaper clipping is like just really appreciating him having fun we we love to hear from everyone we will quote tweet you or retweet you if we see you talking about Richard and uh yeah like it's been a delight to be on this podcast twice now can't wait to come back at a future time i hope and like being maybe the inaugural episode of this series is yeah just like absolutely fantastic like get everything we should always lead with jawbone right like always be the rule <laughs> of course of course thanks again for coming on really appreciate it and uh i think hopefully people will uh really gain something from the conversation i did as somebody who spends a lot of time in this world, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Terrell. 
And that was my discussion with Annie Burkhart on the band's Jawbone. Really hope you enjoyed this new series. Uh, this is just the beginning. We're going to be releasing these very frequently. Um, and we will be featuring people from all over the spectrum. From musicians to journalists to friends to people online. Everybody's going to get a chance to come in and talk about their favorite band song. So this was one of the first, but definitely not the last. Uh, if you want to join the discussion, uh, tell us your opinions about Jawbone and everything else band related. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at the band podcast. If you're interested in supporting the show in more detail uh, and monetarily, and get early access to episodes, join our book club that we host bi-monthly, as well as writings and other materials, you can head over to our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash thebandofhistory. There's different tiers. Pick one, join, and have a good time, because that's what I think it is. Uh, and I always want to thank my patrons for supporting the show and uh, help making this all possible. So thanks, guys. And that's pretty much it. You know, we're getting close to the holiday season here. I'm going to be trying to pump out a bunch of content in the latter part of this month into 2024. We'll keep this train a rolling. I want to thank everybody for making 2023 a phenomenal year for the band of history. Um, and, you know, a tumultuous year overall with the passing of Robbie Robertson. But, you know, this has uh, brought a spotlight to the band. And, you know, we all have to kind of come together and uh, show people that are curious for the first time the great joy that the band's music brings us and uh this is one of the series that uh, i hope we'll do that along with the rest of everything we're doing at the band of history so we'll catch you next time it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.